The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is a special edition of Busted Open on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Live from the Sirius XM studios in New York City, this is Busted Open. Your only destination for daily pro wrestling talk in the entire world. From the independent scene to the main event of WrestleMania, no one covers pro wrestling like Busted Open. Eddie Guerrero was busted open. Hot topics, breaking news, and interviews with some of the biggest names in the game. A show designed for the fan by the fan. Old school. The irritable force meeting the immovable object meets new school. Busted open. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Live now. This is Busted Open's AWA Territory Special. Here are your hosts, Dave LaGreca and Tommy Dreamer. Welcome to Busted Open, remembering the territories. Myself, Dave LaGreca, and my tag team partner today, the innovator of violence, the landlord of the House of Hardcore himself, Tommy Dreamer. And Tommy, today, we're talking about the AWA. Oh, yeah, we are. I'm super excited. You know, I don't remember how I got the AWA besides the wrestling magazines that we've talked so much about because that was our internet before the internet was invented. But I used to love the AWA, and you want to talk about, you know, today's wrestling where we talk about the third brand of NXT. AWA was a major powerhouse in professional wrestling, and you look at the rosters and you look at the Hall of Fame members that the AWA brought to us. It's just, uh, it's so enriched in wrestling history. I can't wait to talk about it, especially talking with our guest, because he is the man. Yes, we're going to introduce our guest in just one second. I'll tell you exactly how we were able to get the AWA in the New York metropolitan area, Tommy, where we're both from, and that is WPIX Channel 11 on Saturday mornings. We were able to get the AWA and then later on on ESPN. But you mentioned our guest, so let's bring him in, somebody who is not only a part of the AWA, not only a tag team champion with Jim Brunzel, but also the son of the legendary, the iconic Vern Gagne. We bring in Greg Gagne right now. Greg, how are you today, sir? Well, good. Thank you very much for having me on. Good seeing you all again. Again, I don't think I've ever saw you, Dave, but you're looking good. <laughs> He's talking about me. Tommy, you look good. <laughs> Is it just the three of us or? No, it's, it's just, just the, the three, three of us. Okay. It's the three of us in the Busted Open Nation and... You know, uh, Busted Open is the number one sports show on Sirius XM. And I think a big reason why is because pro wrestling fans are so loyal. And when you look at the AWA and that loyal fan, fan base, especially where it was regionally um, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, you would have to say, Greg, that the AWA loyalists were definitely that loyal. 
Oh, they were, you know, and, and it was it was a big territory. You know, we covered more uh, more ground than uh, any other league in the in the in the USA. Um, we were from Winnipeg, Canada, St. Louis, all the way to the West Coast. So, you know, our major cities were Winnipeg, uh, Green Bay, Milwaukee, Chicago, St. Louis. Uh, we did the Quad Cities. We did uh, Omaha, Lincoln, Denver, Phoenix, Salt Lake City, Las Vegas, and Oakland and San Francisco, plus uh, uh, Vancouver and Montreal once in a while and Toronto once in a while. Wow. So Greg, covered, covered what, was, what was a average week for you as a wrestler in the sense of your travel schedule? Well, you know, the AWO is a little bit different than everybody else. Um, Vern's philosophy was uh, in in the in the Midwest and in the in this part of the United States, from you know Winnipeg to the West Coast, uh, people in May and June didn't come out much. They wanted to get out. They'd been cooped up all winter, so we took the whole month of May and the first two weeks of June off and only ran the major cities, which was usually Thursday, Friday, Saturday, sometimes Sunday in the summer. So uh, our load was about 250 to 270 matches a year. Whereas, you know, in the Charlotte area, the Florida area, Texas, New York, they're going 365 days a year and, and some of them twice on the weekend. So uh, we're able to, because of that and because of the major cities, uh, Vern was able to get the best talent in here all the time. You know, they had time. His big thing, he wanted time for their families and they, the guys had time for their families. So uh, they made great money. Um, we didn't have, uh, we had four or five matches all we had on a card and we were sold out from one end of the country to the other. Most of the time and our television ratings were the highest of any TV show, except for 60 minutes across the country. Wow. And you know, here in the New York area, people talk about Madison square garden in Atlanta, they talk about the Omni. But when I think of the AWA, I think of the St. Paul civic center. I mean, that was the big arena arena that all the TV really kind of surrounded, correct? Well, it did. We did it out of here. We did it out of Minneapolis. Did it out of the studio here, and then uh, we would film the uh, uh, the two places we filmed were Winnipeg, because we're on TSN up there. So they they took the matches across Canada. That's why we we did a lot in Canada, and uh, and then we got ESPN here, which eventually took us nationwide. But uh, yeah, St. Paul, you know, the Denver Auditorium was unbelievable. Chicago, we used to wrestle both the Amphitheater, the Rosemont Horizon. Um, the Cow Palace in San Francisco was quite an, quite an adventure. Uh, the Oakland Coliseum. Uh, I mean, you know, it was all major buildings and uh, we were, it was, it was hot and it was fun. We, uh, we all know about your dad's uh, amateur background, but I think in professional wrestling, uh, He's known for being the trainer of trainers. Uh, you went through that camp. Can you can you talk yeah, about because it's such a different uh, way of training today? And you know, but your dad, uh, he, he has some legendary training. Uh, we counted it up one day. He trained 144 wrestlers. Wow! Out, out of that, uh, 90 about 99 percent of them all ended up being main event wrestlers. And his philosophy was he started. Um, Started wrestling in 1949 here in Minneapolis and came out of an amateur batch run at the University of Minnesota. So he was a big star in Minnesota already. NCAA champion, wrestled on the 1948 Olympic team as an alternate. Um, so he, he had a, a name for himself. And his first match, he used to tell us, was Abe King Kong Cashy. 
And some of his buddies were in the front row. One was Bud Grant, former Viking coach, uh, Billy Bai, uh, and uh, Jim Malosky. And um, Byrne was wrestling Abe King Kong Cashy. And uh, he was getting the crap beat out of him pretty good. And the three guys stood up, and Cashy leaned over the, uh, the ropes, and he said, sit down, punks. <laughs> and they all sat back down. Uh, but they told Vern he was too small. So they sent him to Oklahoma, which we lived in a trailer at the time. And he hooked it up behind the car. And my mom and dad and I drove to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, in two weeks, he became the light heavyweight NWA champion. And then we made that circuit down there, you know, Tulsa, down and through Texas, back into Louisiana and, 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 and back to Oklahoma. And then in 1950, you get a call from Fred Kohler, the promoter in uh, Chicago. And he said, hey, Vern, we'd like to bring you into Chicago. We're going to go on network TV, which at that time was uh, uh, the DuPont Network, which eventually became WGN. And he said, we'd like you to come in. So this was the story Vern used to tell. So I fly into Chicago and get into the, uh, get into the arena. And uh, Fred comes up to me, and we've got about 30 guys in the locker room. And he said, uh, Vern, here's what we're going to do with you tonight. We're going to dress you up as a Martian. We're going to lower you from the ceiling, and then you're going to wrestle. And and Vern, and uh, I know we're on a podcast here, and I'll, I'll be careful how I word this. This is satellite radio, don't forget. So. Okay, you can, okay, so I got to be you careful. Can you can no, curse. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. So Vern said, the fuck you are. And he said, I'll tell you what. Line up everybody here. All three. I'm going down to the ring, and they can come in one at a time, two at a time, three at a time. If I don't beat them all, I'll quit wrestling and nobody would get in the ring with him. So he said, I'm wearing my wrestling tights and my boots. And if I don't make it that way, I won't make it, but I'm going to make it. And he became the first major star on network TV. And I guess a friend of mine told me that in the world book Guinness of records, he holds the record for the first athlete besides Babe Ruth to make a hundred grand. They made that in 1950. And he would tell the story that, uh, you know, all the, all the territories were still out there. So they would, they would grab a couple of the, the stars off the network TV and bring them in. So they bring Vern and Pat O'Connor into Buffalo, New York. And they get in there and the plane was a little late and it's a little snowing and God, the traffic's backed up. And they said, man, what's going on here in town? It's going to kill our gate. Well, they get to the arena and there was 20,000 people turned away from the event that night. So then he knew what the power of TV was. And he wanted to change the, the philosophy of wrestling. At that time, there was Gorgeous George and, you know, a lot of gimmick, what they called gimmick wrestlers at that time. And uh, he wanted more athletes in. He brought in Dick the Bruiser, brought in uh, uh, Killer Kowalski, uh, Yukon Eric, uh, Mitsu Arakawa, Kenji Shibuya, Kamikov Brothers. Uh, you know, it was quite an array of talent that he ended up bringing in to the national TV and actually spending the time and training them all. And I think that's the biggest thing about the AWA in regards to any other promotion was really not only the athleticism, but the foundation in amateur wrestling. I think that's what made the AWA so unique. Oh, it was, I mean, the wrestling camp was so tough. You couldn't believe it. I mean, we had to learn how to, how to wrestle. And I mean, wrestle, wrestle, shoot the way they call it. And if you couldn't do that, uh, you probably couldn't make it with, with Fern. I mean, his philosophy was when you go in the ring, you better know how to wrestle. You better, you know, you put your match together with wrestling holds and 
I get and figured out how to get out of the holds and, and doing everything else after that. So uh, it was a heck of an education. We went six hours a day, uh, six days a week. Plus then we had to lift weights afterwards. And um, the camp would start out, um, in my camp, we were really fortunate. We had Ric Flair, Jim Brunzel, um, the Iron Sheik, Ken Patera, myself, and Bob Bruggers. Bob came out of pro football. He was about 32 at the time. So he never really made it just because of his age, you know, and he didn't quite catch on. Um, Vern trained Sergeant Slaughter, uh, Ricky Steamboat, uh, God, the Anderson brothers, Ole, Lars, uh, Gene. Wow. Uh, you know, people don't even realize that, but uh, sent a lot of people all over the country. Blackjack Mulligan, Blackjack Lanza. I mean, the list goes on and on. And How uh, it was the same camp every time, man. You started out, we had to start out with a thousand free squats. Uh, they called Hindu squats with a little jump step in them. And we started out with four sets of 25. And in our camp, we had a hundred, we had a hundred guys. And then the after the first hour, there was six of us left. Everybody else had dropped off. I mean, the calisthenics we had to do, the squats. We did a, a, all these calisthenics outside the ring. Then we got up in the ring and we did another hour in the ring of calisthenics where you'd stand on your head in the turnbuckle, build your neck up. You'd get on all fours. One guy would sit on your back facing the opposite direction with his head from your head. And then he'd do a, a, um, a sit-up and then you'd have to push him up with your neck. We had to build strong necks. And then the next hour might be holds and counter holds and do them a thousand times. The fourth hour would be bumps. We'd probably do a thousand bumps a day and then hit the ropes, you know, in those first six weeks, you know, Tommy's, you know, tears all the skin off your, your body and you get all black and blue, but uh, you just keep working through it. And then, uh, then we would do uh, the fifth hour generally was, uh, uh, submission wrestling. Uh, Billy Robinson was our trainer and he had a, in between him and Vern, they had a, a number of horrible holds that we put into. <laughs> got stretched really bad. You know, they'd show you three or four and then you'd have to get on the mat with them and then they'd leave their arm, they'd say, hey, the arm's open and you'd go to put that hold on and they'd reverse it and crank your foot right up your ass, you know, and you're, <laughs> you're screaming like crazy. But, uh, and then the last hour we went out, we did, uh, we did wind sprints. We did, we'd uh, run 20 yards, walk 20 yards, run 20 yards for a half hour. And then we'd go over, uh, he had this farm that we were in an old barn with, uh, we were on the second floor, no windows in it, one light bulb above the, the ring. And um, we went from September to January, end of January. And, you know, it's 15, 20 below zero out there. And we'd go across the road. He had, uh, there was a river there with river bluffs, and we'd run up and down those. And then we would run back to the back to the barn, which was about a mile away. And Patera and Flair were usually the last two. <laughs> Just two <laughs> little tiny steps trying to get back, and Vern and uh, Billy screaming at him. But, uh, yeah, it was quite a camp. I mean, when you came out of there, um, you were pretty ready. You were pretty ready. And you talk about the stars. You mentioned Ken Patera. You mentioned Ric Flair. When we come back, Tommy, with Greg Gagne, we want to talk about the stars that really made the AWA. And we'll do that when we're back on Remembering the Territories, AWA, right here on Busted Open. 
You're listening to Busted Open's AWA Territory Special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Yak and Barack Show. Mike Tyson has the fire again. That doesn't sound anything like Holyfield's mindset towards this. Holyfield wants to put on a spectacle of admiration. It sounds like Mike Tyson wants to fight. It's masqueraded under the term exhibition, but he wants to fight, you know, and I don't know if an exhibition will satisfy that fire that's in Mike Tyson. I think it's going to be scheduled an exhibition, titled an exhibition, but I think once Mike is in that ring, it's going to turn into a fight. Weekdays from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer take a look back at one of the most historic wrestling territories, the American Wrestling Association. This is Busted Open's AWA Territory Special with special guest Greg Gagne. Welcome back to Busted Open, Remembering the Territories, talking about the AWA. And, Tommy, we're here with Greg Gagne. So pleased for a first time ever in the 11-year history of Busted Open to talk to Greg Gagne. And, obviously, Greg was a star in the AWA, and they were not short on stars, Tommy, from, you know, from Nick Bockwinkle to Wahoo McDaniel to Mad Dog Vashon to Brad Reagans, you know, to Hulk Hogan, Rick Martel. I mean, there was a lot of stars, Tommy, in the AWA. I cannot pinpoint one person when I think of the face of the AWA. This has to be a complete other show to talk about a Mount Rushmore of the AWA just because there were so many great names associated with the brand. Well, I mean, obviously on any Mount Rushmore, but especially the one for the AWA, Vern Gagne needs to be on that Mount Rushmore. And, you know, a lot of younger fans, Tommy, and we're here with Greg Gagne as well. A lot of fans don't understand how big the AWA was. Tommy, we did a whole special on the wrestling magazines uh, and how important those magazines were. Well, when you looked at the rankings, which was at the end of the magazines, which was probably more important than anything else in the magazines, when you looked at the NWA, next to it, it would have the world champion. When you look next to the AWA, it would also say world champion. And then when you would look at the WWF, it would just say champion. So I think when you look at the two most important and biggest bodies of professional wrestling, it would be the NWA and the AWA. That's how I grew up as the order uh, of it all. And then through, you know, I guess uh, the expansion kind of uh, changed everything. But I want to talk about the glory days of the AWA. I don't want to talk about any of the negative about the AWA. Screw that stupid expansion era. I hated it. Yeah, stupid was, Hulk. Stupid Hulk too. Hogan. <laughs> well, you know, it was a funny deal because I wrestled at Shea Stadium and Hogan was on the card that night against Andre the Giant. And um, I was on about the second or third match. And then I went out with some friends. I watched Andre and Hogan. Oh, man, it was just a, <laughs> it was not a very good match. And uh, Andre just ate him up. And so I went out with Pat Patterson and Ricky Steamboat and a couple other guys. And we came back to the hotel and I'm going up to my room and down the hall is setting the Hulk. And I said, man, what's the matter? I can't make it in wrestling, man. I said, well, yeah, you, you can, you just need some, some better training. Um, I mean, you've got, you've got the looks and everything. I, I just need some work. Why don't you come to the AWA? So I went back and I told my dad about it. I said, there's this guy in New York as Hogan. I said, he would be phenomenal here. Uh, but he needs a lot of work, a lot of work. He said, well, you know, have him call me. And I told him to call Vern and it took him three months to make the call. And then 
we were doing the Phil Donahue show. We had uh, Adrian Donis, Jesse Ventura, Jim and myself, some of the girls, a couple of midgets. And we did an hour on the Phil Donahue show. And Vern uh, Hogan was supposed to meet us there. He drove up from Florida and Vern threw him on the last minute and a half with Phil. And, and he said, I'm going to throw him on for an interview. And I said, well, I haven't heard him do an interview. And I, I, I don't know if you want to do that on live TV. He threw him on there and it was horrible. And Vern says to me, this is the guy you throw. I said, geez, he just needs some help. So Vern worked with him on his personality and his interviews. And then Jim and I worked out with him and we put him in six man tag team matches. And we would uh, tag him in at the right spot. If we were working an arm, we'd say, hey, grab the arm, uh, you know, twirl it, drop a leg on it and tag out. And we only let him get in when uh, for a comeback or when he, we had the advantage and then he started catching on and got the pace of it. And, uh, from there, everything else was history. Did you ever, uh, feel extra pressure? Like it, I know growing up, there was a lot of second generation wrestlers that couldn't fill, uh, their father's shoes. I really think for your generation, it was really you and uh, Kurt Henning were the guys that did, but did you have an extra pressure to kind of be like, you're the son of Vern Gagne? No, I never looked at it that way. Tommy, you know, if I did, I wouldn't make it. And, and Vern said, I'd just be yourself. And that's nice. all I was trying to do is just be myself. I didn't, uh, uh, you know, I, it was always over my head and people would always, you know, ask me about it. But uh, I never felt that way. Uh, I just wanted to do my own thing. And uh, when we were training, Vern said, pick out things from the people that you like and put them into your own personality. And I, I did, uh, I took some from Billy Robinson, I took a lot from Vern, and I took, and the other one was Red Bastine, and then Ray Stevens. Those are the four guys that I really, really watched. And, you know, as the baby faces, Robinson, Vern, and uh, Bastine, and then um, as a, a heel guy, there wasn't anybody better than Ray Stevens when it was timing and everything. And I really learned timing from him watching him and, and, and getting it and uh you know and evolved and just did my own thing and and Jim and I became uh we played football together at Minnesota and I got him into the sport and we brought him back from Kansas City we teamed up and everybody said we wouldn't make it and you know kind of worked out a little differently you know when you look at the AWA and Tommy and I talk about this all the time a lot of the legends that kind of get overlooked when you look uh, back and, you know, I guess are underappreciated or underrated. You mentioned one in Red Bastine. I mean, Red Bastine, I remember growing up, you know, he was really regarded as one of the greats and has oh, really, was. truly gotten forgotten over time. Why do you think that is? And why do you think? Well, it's, it's just because the evolution of the sport, you know. Um, you know, I don't know what McMahon, I, I don't get his network, so I don't want, know what he puts on there. But, I mean, in the AWA going – Going way back, I remember growing up and my dad took me to the St. Paul Auditorium and they had the Kamikoff brothers against Mitsu Arakawa and Kenji Shibuya, four heels. And it was a bloody match. And I was about, I don't know, six, seven years old. And we're walking back between the, through the hallway where the locker rooms were. And I look in and I see the doctor sewing up <laughs> Mitsu and, and, uh, and, uh, Arakawa, and then I see the Kamikoffs getting sewed up down in another one. And I turned to my dad and I said, one thing I know for sure, I never want to be a wrestler. 
<laughs> you know, Gene Kaninsky, Hardboiled Haggerty, uh, Leo Namalini, uh, you know, Wilbur Snyder, Dick the Bruiser, The Crusher. I mean, The Crusher was a huge focal point here in the AWA. Uh, he, he was a he was a legend. Uh, you know, he was he was the Steve Austin of that time, or Steve Austin was the Crusher of his time. You know, the beer drinker and told it the way he. Uh, he, he he could only tell it and uh mad dog Bashan with the unbelievable personality he had and and you know what you saw with mad dog is what you got i mean i got stories about mad dog you can't even believe i'm saving him for my own show though okay i understand <laughs> i understand no, I, no he, he was he was um he was quite an individual he uh, actually he had been wrestling for about 10 years came out of montreal he wrestled on the 1948 uh, Canadian Olympic team. A lot of people don't know that. And that's where my dad met him. And he had blonde, wavy hair, and he was about 180 pounds and looked fantastic and turned pro, uh, struggled for 10 years. Uh, he got hit in the throat and his voice changed. You know, that he talked like this. And he got a couple of teeth knocked out and he was losing his hair and he was wrestling for Don Owens out in Portland. And Don had called Vern and said, Hey, uh, I got this guy, you know, he, he hasn't, he hasn't done anything anywhere and I'm going to let him go. Could you use him on TV in Omaha on the way back when he's driving back to Montreal, maybe Omaha and Minneapolis, we did TV in both places. And Vern said, yeah, we'll just put him on TV. So Mad Dog's last match in Oregon. Uh, he, he's wrestling some young kid there on the second match. And he is, he is so frustrated and he's, he's again, the throat, the teeth, he's losing the hair, he's gonna quit wrestling. He goes out in the ring and, and he demolishes this kid. He throws him out of the ring, bangs his head off the table, he busted the kid open, knocked out three people in the front row, knocked out two policemen. They hauled him back in the locker room and he's all trying to get away and the police are holding him down. What do you want us to do with him, Don? And Don says, you're nothing but a mad dog. And that's how he got the name. When he came to Omaha, he wrestled the way he did in Oregon. And it, it got over like that. And he became the, the champion there and then came to the AWA. And, you know, the rest was history. But, boy, he was, uh, he was no fun to get in the ring with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brenzel tells me, first, I wrestled Mad Dog in, in Minneapolis. And I said to my dad, I said, hey, what do I do with this guy? I mean, I see you're all scratched up. You got bite marks on you. He looks up and he says, hit him twice as hard as he hits you. And I said, Dan, and good luck. <laughs> and I, Holy shit. So I get in the ring with Mad Dog and I go to tie up with him and he hit you in his hand. He liked the cement blocks. He cuffed me and, and you could feel it down in your feet. You felt like that cartoon character that was going to just crack. So I hit him back and we exchanged about the third one. I hit him right over the ear and he kind of lost his equilibrium. So I grabbed a leg and took him down and I went to take a breath and he took his fingernails and went right down my back, and took all the skin off my back. Oh my God. So I went about 20 some minutes with him and I get back into the locker room and I'm bleeding and I'm cut up and I get scratches all over me and Brunzel's sitting there in the chair and we had separate locker rooms and he's, Jim says, He's laughing at me. And I said, hey, you got him next Friday in Denver. Good luck. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Mad Dog kicks open the door. And I've seen this before. I mean, he'd get in fights in the locker room. And I go, oh, shit. 
So I reach, I bend down and I grab my chair and I'm looking at him and he's got that look on his face and he comes and goes, ah, I respect you. He shook my hand. Well, I about crapped in my pants right there. <laughs> I sat down. So then Brunzel gets to Denver with him. So Jim says, well, what do you do with him? And I said, hit him twice as hard as he hits you. And I said, and good luck. That's what he hit me. So Jim gets in the ring with him. Mad Dog backs him into the turnbuckle and he hits Jim and Jim hits him back and Mad Dog goes harder. And Jim hits him harder and it goes about three punches. He says, harder. And he hits him and he hit him right on the jaw. And Mad Dog used to take that finger, lock it in your mouth, zing him around. He throws him out of the ring. Jim said, I hit the floor and all I see is a shadow. And all of a sudden, both feet, Mad Dog was shot right in my stomach, jumped off the apron blew all the wind out of me. He grabs me again by the mouth, fires me back in the ring, picks me up. He hits, blasts me, and he says, not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jim came back in the locker room, all scratched up, bit up, bleeding. He said, Jesus Christ. I said, that's the mad dog, man. You better be ready for a fight when you get in there. That is absolutely amazing. Uh, you're right, Tommy. Uh, Mr. Gagne is a fantastic storyteller. <laughs> I told you. Yeah. Uh, we, what were uh, your other responsibilities in the AWA besides just a wrestler? Well, at first it was just wrestling. And then eventually, um, uh, you know, I'd handle the, the matches when we got, got to the arenas and would settle up with the promoters. Um, every There was different promoters and everyone. And I'd have to get the you know, what the numbers, what the gate were and all that. And then, um, then I started uh, helping with the booking. And then uh, the bookers at that time were Vern and usually just Vern and Wally Carbo. Wally was just kind of a yes guy, but Vern did all the booking. And then he started bringing in myself, brought in Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan, Jack Lanza, uh, Ray Stevens. You know, guys have been around the business a long time. And um, we had all the great talent there. So it, it was good. So we did the booking. Then I did the, the TV, uh, laid out the format for the ESPN and for the, for the national, for our, our uh, syndicated program. And I was responsible a lot for the interviews, helping the guys with their interviews. Jesse Ventura, when he came in, he was horrible. Um, I didn't have to give him the theme of it. And our philosophies back then, I used to teach the guys, give them a beginning a middle and a finish. You guys fill in, fill in the end, fill in everything in between. And, um, you know, try to tie in their personalities with, with uh, the interview. So I had a lot of responsibilities. And then I, when guys came in, uh, Ricky Steamboat and those guys, if I had time, I'd have to go out and get in the ring with them once in a while. Kurt Henning. Uh, I mean, you know, there was a, there was a ton of talent that came through there that, that Vern train that, uh, you know, eventually we were, we'd have to go out and put our time in with them too. You know, that was part of our job. Brinsell would come out myself and we were always around town, but it was, a, it was, you know, Oh shit. I, when I started, I had to haul the damn ring. Yeah. <laughs> he made us haul the ring, made us referee, learning, learning the sport from the bottom up. And I remember driving that damn ring truck and, and uh, George scrap iron Kadaski, He was a character. I'll tell you, there's a quick, a quick match, him and Mad Dog, live TV. And, and, and George, he would referee, uh, he wrestled, he, he took the ring and he set that up. 
So they're on the TV match and <laughs> Mad Dog cuffs him and, and <laughs> George had a plate and it knocked the plate right out of his mouth onto the mat. And George is down on his hands and knees and Mad Dog doesn't know what he's doing that jump of his around the ring and the ring is bouncing and the teeth are bouncing on the mat like this. And George is trying to catch the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> the producers back in the, we were watching it back in the, uh, in the, um, um, control room and the, the, the director, Tom Scott fell right off the stool laughing. I mean, <laughs> it went on for like, you know, probably only about 45 seconds, but it was 45 seconds of this and that. <laughs> <laughs> it was funnier than hell. You know, Greg, when we come back, because we got to take a break, when we come back, I want to talk about the one wrestler that I think most people think about more than any other, and that is former AWA champion Nick Bockwinkle. We'll get into him when Tommy and I are back with Greg Gagne. Nick who? Rem remembering <laughs> the territory. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. <laughs> right here. All I'm right. busted open. You're listening to Busted Open's AWA Territory Special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barak Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer take a look back at one of the most historic wrestling territories, the American Wrestling Association. This is Busted Open's AWA Territory Special with special guest Greg Gagne. Welcome back to Busted Open, Remembering the Territories, talking AWA. And who better, Tommy, than to talk AWA with than the legendary Greg Gagne. Greg, man, thank you so much for the time today, man. This has been a, a, a pleasure for both of us. If I'd have been any longer than 11 years, I'd really been legendary. It probably wouldn't have been around. <laughs> dust on me. Let's we get have, this guy on finally. It's been 11 I'm, years. I'm going to tell you a true story. Man out of talent. We, that's not true. There's always <laughs> people true. to talk to. But I will say this, true story. <laughs> Two weeks ago, we had The Undertaker on. Uh -huh. And my producer says to me, well, I, you know, that's it. Bucket list is over. I said, wait a second. We still haven't gotten Greg. I Fuck The Undertaker. I want to <laughs> talk to Greg Gagne. And Tommy's not because he knows it's true. So it's great talking to you today. Well, you too. And The Undertaker's a great guy, a good, good friend. Definitely it's awesome. Terrific. Definitely awesome. I, I, I do want to get into Nick Bockwinkle. But before we do... Uh, I do want to get into Pro Wrestling USA because I live in Jersey. I was born and raised in New Jersey. And Tommy will tell you, I was, I was never a big WWF fan. WWF, to me, always came off a little cartoonish. So when the AWA was able to come to Jersey at the Meadowlands with the NWA, that was a, a very big deal for me. And my dad took me. I have the programs right next to me. My dad took me to all the shows. Do you have any memories that you can share about pro wrestling USA? Well, you know, it was a good concept. It was just, there was too many egos in the way. I mean, you try to bring all these promoters together. You had the Crockett's, you had Bill Watts, a uh, very strong, powerful, um, egos and, and Vern. 
and uh, the Burns one and put it together. And then you had uh, then you had Jerry Jarrett and Eddie Graham down in Florida. Eddie was wor- easy to work with. Um, it was it was a, it was a little tough. They all had their own ideas on the way it's going. You know, you really have to have that one guy that has the final say. And they couldn't really come to an agreement on that. Uh, it was unfortunate because by if they were to just listened and done it, uh, it would have been very hard for McMahon to to compete with it. But Greg, Greg, I did a movie with uh, Ed Asner, and oh, did you? A, a year and a half ago, and they uh-huh. knew I was he was the wrestler. He goes, "Come here," he and I had totally forgot about the wrestler. And he goes, right. "You know, I did a movie about Vern Gagne." I said, "Oh my God, yeah, the wrestler." And he's like, "Do you know Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch?" I said, "Yes, I do." He goes they're crazy he goes what a great time i had filming with these guys they're all nuts and i just laughed so hard and then him and i were just shooting the shit about pro wrestling and you know how much he enjoyed it but filming that movie and you think about that movie and how we see documentaries about the business that movie was so ahead of its time to go back and watch it now about you know the training but it was also like a worked documentary yeah, it's it's amazing how uh, like who had that foresight to do that movie? That was Vern. That was his idea. Wow, wow. And Ed Asner was he became him and Vern became good good friends. Um, he he wrote me a little note when Vern passed away, and and uh, and I wrote his daughter when 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 Ed passed away. But um, I talked to him a few times. He was just God. He was a great guy and fun, and he loved being around the guys because they, you know. <laughs> We had quite a crew here at that time. <laughs> I could imagine wrote, then. You know, Wahoo McDaniel. I mean, that was uh, it was interesting. Ray Stevens, Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan. You know, when you talk about Bobby, you talk about, I know you guys want to talk about Nick Bockwinkle. When you talk about him, you got to talk about Bobby Heenan. Because Bobby Heenan, um, without Bobby Heenan, uh, Nick would have done really, really well. You know, because that's the way the AW was built, and he was the he was the heel wrestling champion, and he 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 did it as good as anybody. But once you put Heenan with him and Ray Stevens, it electrified that thing. At Bobby Heenan, there was there was nobody better in the wrestling business than Bobby Heenan as a manager, and in the ring he was phenomenal. He knew his his character, and when you put him with Nick. It just was, uh, the chemistry there was unbelievable. And when I think of Nick Bockwinkle, obviously you talk about Bobby Heenan. I talk about Nick Bockwinkle as the champion and that feud with Hogan. And it's it's so upsetting because that feud with Hogan was like right at the cusp. Like it's, you felt it, the momentum going in, it was just like, and you know, they, you know something would happen where, you know, Nick Bockwinkle would get disqualified or something would happen or Hogan would get disqualified. It's like, you know, you're just about to get the payoff of this long, beautiful story. And then, you know, the legs got cut under, but that, I mean, that build of that feud was absolutely incredible. Well, there was, there was only two people that knew where this was going. It was Vern and myself. And Vern was hesitant to even tell me, but Hogan got mad because he didn't get the, get the title. And Vern, we had had a, a battle royal in um, St. Paul in November. And the winner was supposed to be, meet Bachwinkle. Um, 
And in the thing, it ended up Andre and Hogan, and they just bumped into each other back to back. And we had 22,000 people in the arena. And they just turned slow and looked at each other, and it, the, the place went dead silent. You know? Wow. And, and my dad said, shit, we got to call. He called Vince right away, Vincini. He said, hey, I need Andre for February, the whole month of February. We're going to run Hogan and, and Andre in, in February of 83. And then Hogan and, and uh, Bachwinkle in April on network TV on CBS. CBS had contacted us and um, back in the fall and that's where Vern was going with the thing. He didn't tell anybody. Wow. And then that, that would have been network TV and that's, and Hogan never came back from, from when he came back from Japan, didn't come back to the AWA and that, and then they pulled Andre from us in February. So, Oh my goodness. I never heard those stories before. Nobody ever heard that. You're the guys are the first one. I've told a couple other people that, but that's that's a first. Yeah. I told Hogan uh, I told Hogan that when I saw him at the Fox premiere out in California. And I said, if you'd have just hung in, he said, I never wanted to leave the AW. I loved it there. And I said, Well, you know, if you would have listened, you know, when I called you, I said, Hey, there's something in store for you. Just hang in here. And you know, don't walk out. At least, you know, if you want to leave, leave. But I would make your make your matches here. We had all this end of December, all our big arenas sold out with him and, and Jim and I and a six man with Bachwinkle and the Stevens and, and Heenan or a Blackwell. And I said, just finish that out. And then if you want to go, go, but don't burn bridges. And I said, and you should listen because there's something coming up for you down the road. But he said, well, Vince said, Vince is going to pay me more than I'll make. And I said, shit, you got, you're making, <laughs> I have to see that to believe it. But I guess that's what he did. Wow. So, my stomach literally just dropped. Greg. You just yeah. ruined my friggin' day. Wow. <laughs> Wasn't that? Could imagine, imagine how you felt. Holy, oh, no wonder why my, your father wanted Sheik to break his leg. I want to break his leg. Yeah. Wow. I mean, wasn't that? Yeah. I mean, CBS had contacted us. Jim Gentile was the, uh, he, he did the NFL football and he contacted Vern uh, through uh, the, our CBS associate here in town and laid the, and we laid it out. You know, that was going to be on network TV and that's where we were going to have the Bachwinkle uh, uh, Hogan match. You think of how the business would have changed, man. That's yep. insane. Yeah, I, I mean, Hulkamania did start in the AWA. And, yeah. you know, it had, yeah, he was up it had all York. the players. You fail. All the players. In fact, when I worked when I worked for uh, Vince, you know, and they're re- they're good people. I I I love Stephanie and and Paul and and Vince to get along with, and, and Linda. Um, we're on the plane, and Stephanie turns to me, and she she said, "We're on the jet going. I don't know where we we're going," and she says, "You know, my dad made Hulk Hogan." <laughs> I said, Stephanie, you you don't know what went on. My dad made it. She got mad at me, and I, I said, you know, he was with the with the with the WWF at that time, and he was, he wrestled under, and he was failing. He came to the AWA. We turned Hogan into the into the monster he was. I remember the AWA T-shirt, Hulkamania, in the St. Paul yeah. Civic Center, just standing there from the from the wrestling magazine. So yeah, man, that's, it, it was that's something because... called factual proof. And yeah. also, too, I believe Hogan at the end of the run in the AWA was coming to the ring with Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. Wow. 
He, 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 when I saw him in Los, An Los Angeles, he's, he said, my brother always said, he said, you know, he said, do you remember what happened at the Rosemont Horizon? I said, yeah. He said, you're the guy. We got in the ring and the place was, this we're wrestling Bachwinkle, uh, Stevens, Blackwell, and they had Heenan in the corner. It was Jim and I and Hogan. And the people just went bananas when we came out. They bailed out of the ring and Hogan did his pose and he said, what did you do? And I grabbed your t-shirt and I told Jim to grab the other side and we tore it off real slow. He said, that's it. You're the guy that gave it to me. Nice. Wow. He said, well, I'm glad I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by I can't believe, Tommy, this has to be the fastest hour ever talking uh, to somebody. I mean, this, I told you about Greg Gagne. He's a legend, man. I told uh -huh. you about him. Well, His Tommy, stories, he can talk, man. I love it. It's well, you know what? I just got, Tommy, I just found you. out from our that. producer. He's given us an extended five minutes. So we're doing five minutes more with Greg Gagne. We've never done this before, Greg. We're going an extra five. I'm not. I'm done. You. I'm done. Cut <laughs> it off. No. <laughs> Greg, what are, you, what are you doing today uh, in the sense of, mm -hmm. you know, you still, I know it's hard to follow the business, but uh, you, you off camera, we're talking about you're helping train people. Well, I, I was, you know, they're closed down now, as, as you know. Right. Uh, in fact, a young girl, I got down to the WWE. I talked to Stephanie. I said, Stephanie, look at her background. I said, I can't get anybody to give her a chance. She sent her stuff in. So Stephanie looked at it. She's, uh, uh, she was on the U.S. Uh, gymnastics team for four years. Uh, uh, she was a weightlifter, a cross trainer. Unbelievable. Really a good athlete and really catches on fast. She had a little bit of an attitude I was a little worried about, but straighten that out. <laughs> I hope. So she went down there and she did her physical, she did her interview, and then they closed it down because of the virus. And right. I don't know when she'll get called back, but um, as soon as uh, we hear, then we're going to hopefully get back up to Ken's uh, gym and, and, and get her ready. But, uh, you know, they're, 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 uh, where were we here? I lost my train of thought. Uh, just what you were doing. Kind of just what you're I'm doing now. <laughs> Besides staying indoors, you're just you're helping train at a Ken Anderson oh, yeah. school. Yeah. You need to get a pro wrestling tease. You need to get on Cameo because wrestling fans love you and remember you and they want to hear from you. And uh, I know uh, I'll ask you my one last favorite question that I've had to ask. Well, it's a two-parter. One, I help out in Impact Wrestling, and I have been trying to get uh, that company to do like a wrestle rock video. So if I could get that company to do a wrestle rock video, will you come in and do a cameo? Uh, for sure. oh, will you will you show your great rapping skills? Oh yeah, my rapping skills. Like yeah, they, Shawn Michaels laughed his ass off yet when I tried <laughs> to do that, and I said, "Well, I didn't want to do it. This is what the, the these the local group here, uh, uh, ad agency, had us do it." And uh, my final no, question: How much did you hate the Rambo Greg Gagne? Uh, to once me, it I started, wasn't you. Once you I started doing it, I didn't like it. It was wrong. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, you should have done it with a, like a Kenny J or a George Sawbuster. It was, it was, it was my fault. Uh, Slaughter told me about it and I, I thought it would be good, but uh, it, it didn't work out very good. 
Nice. Well, I, I personally love Greg Gagne as a member of the Cobra Corps, and I loved Rambo Greg Gagne, and <laughs> I bought the 45 for Wrestle Rock Rumble, Tommy, so I don't know what I, you're talking I'm about. I'm sure you did. The you know Rock what? Rumble's you just up. made history because you're the only <laughs> one that bought that. <laughs> And I thought your rapping skills were phenomenal. Oh, yeah, they were great. Would be Ken Resnick. Outside of Ken Resnick, I thought everybody did a phenomenal job. (laughs) When Alan Benson stole all our, he just kept stealing our talent. Who's that young lady that just came on? Yeah, I think it might have been one of our computers that are saying that you're running out of time. And we're (laughs) running out of time. She's giving me the shush. (laughs) All right, I won't talk anymore then. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'd love to do it again with you. There's a lot of great stories about the uh, those personalities that we talked about today, That uh, uh, those inside stories. I'm kind of saving them for what I'd like to do, but maybe we could work something out and do them right here. And You know what? That's always a possibility. I mean, we, we have our live show Monday through Saturday, uh, 9 to noon uh, on Sirius XM. We also have the Sirius XM podcast that's doing very well, plus our video and on-demand on the SiriusXM app. So, so Greg, you're welcome to come on, and who knows, maybe we might be able to do something in the future. We would love it. All right. Well, thank you guys for having me on. It was nice talking with you all. Tommy, good seeing you again. Likewise, my friend. Take care. Great personality. You did a lot for professional wrestling. I appreciate that. So have all you. Right. Thank you. All right, Greg Gagne. What are you doing now? I'm retired. I've had, uh, I've had three back surgeries. I find out Friday, Wednesday if I have to have my fourth one or Thursday. Oh, well, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Stop doing drop kicks and maybe you want to have problems with that. I fell in the parking lot at work. (laughs) (laughs) And I know how to fall. (laughs) It exploded. L3 and L4, bang. Three months later, after I had that surgery, I had the four and five. Well, take it easy. Be safe. And thanks so much for the time. Well, thank you very much. Nice seeing you all. All right. Bye-bye. Greg right. Gagne joining us, Tommy, and this is an absolute pleasure. Who's this now? Where have you been? <laughs> oh, the good-looking one comes on. Mickey James doing an AWA run-in. What's Mickey, going on? Mickey, where have you been? <laughs> what the hell? God, oh, God. Finally. <laughs> Here we That's are. Good-looking talent on. None <laughs> of us old guys. You guys are doing a run-in on the AWA show. They barely had any women there. They just had Sherry and Medusa. That's yeah. right. That counts for a lot. Oh, well, good, luck, good luck, ladies. We'll Thank you. Thank you so right. much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Mr. Ganya. Thank you. Take care. Call me Greg. Awesome stuff, Tommy, from Greg Ganya. Just amazing stories from somebody who really gets overlooked because I think people look at him as Vern Ganya's son. But you know what? One hell of a wrestler in the ring and definitely somebody that has a mind for professional wrestling. And another bombshell dropped about what would have been with that wrestling business if Hogan would have stayed in the whole CBS. The WrestleMania 3 main event would never, may have never have happened. We are dropping bombshells on the show. First with the Greg Valentine Mid-Atlantic that had, he had a deal with both companies. And now this. Wow. Thanks, man. It was awesome. Yeah, man. Thanks to Greg Gagne, and thanks to you, the Busted Open Nation, remembering the territories, the AWA, right here on Busted Open. This has been Busted Open's AWA Territory Special. Check Sirius XM On Demand for more Sirius XM Fight Nation content, and follow us on Twitter at Busted Open Radio. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 